and welcome to Movie Fail Podcast. I'm Soren Howe, and I'm here with Josh Rosenfield, and we're going to be discussing uh, The Laws of Gods and Men, um, the latest episode of Game of Thrones, uh, Season 4. Um, so this, this episode was a bit more focused than previous episodes, so uh, I guess we'll just jump into to Essos uh, with, with Daenerys. What did, what did you think of these, this scene? Um, well, it's, um, it's, it's cool to be able to see Daenerys in this position finally and Mm -hmm. not kind of be just marching around everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of set up, set up at the end of the, yeah, the last episode that she'd be getting into this, which is nice. Um, so yeah, it is, it is, we don't see a lot of it. We just kind of see, there's a little kind of foreshadowing with the dragons that, um, not all this is going to go well with them maybe. And the farmer brings these charred uh, goat bones. Um, I thought they. Were, I thought it was going to be the the little boy that was right. Dead. Right. Yeah. It wasn't really clear what. I. It looked like rope to me at first. I was like, "What is he even showing her?" But I mean, I got yeah. the impression it was these with the dragons. But it was a cool scene. I like. He seemed uh, to be satisfied with her answer. Yes, so. which he wouldn't have been if it was you know the kid who had had died. But I feel like that's definitely a possible. Um, future problem if that if they that definitely happens. kind of hinted at that with just the way the scene was uh blocked mm-hmm. the dragon kind of passes over the kid because the goats are there right but um but yeah. if, the, if the goats weren't there exactly um the nice thing is we didn't have jorah uh saying anything overtly yep. expositional here and say those are goat bones those are goat <laughs> bones <laughs> those are goat bones your dragons are becoming unruly <laughs> yeah um, that was nice, not which, to have that. Yeah, exactly, which, uh, you know, it wouldn't have been totally out of place, but it would have uh, been part of the course. Um, so, yeah, so we have that scene, and then we have uh, one of the uh, nobles uh, come in, or the, uh, the son of a noble, come in and, and sort Tizdar of... Zolorak. Yes, there you go. I think you mentioned him in a previous... I did, yeah, because um, of that ridiculous name. Right. Uh, and he makes, a, he makes a really compelling case, and... and... Uh, I think I think the big thing here is that um, Daenerys, uh, you know, it's more fun to conquer than it is to rule, and it's, I mean, it's fun seeing the sort of parallel, boring life of a ruler in, um, you know, across the sea, uh, you know, and and it's funny seeing uh, Daenerys experience this for the first time because if she ever gets the chance to sit on the Iron Throne, it's going to be the exact same thing. So, uh, you know, I hope she gets used to it, but. Um, but I think what's interesting about this scene uh, with uh, with this this guy um, making this appeal for his father to get buried um, properly is that he makes a really compelling case that she didn't really give them a fair trial. She didn't do anything. She was just like, you're all a party to the system, and so I'm going to kill all of you in the most gruesome way possible because um, that's what you did to these kids. And in some ways you sort of get it, but in other ways you're like... You know, you don't know who was complicit, who wasn't, who was helping, who wasn't. I mean, it's sort of like going into, um, you know, Germany or something, and just assuming everybody who's German was sympathetic to the to the Nazis. You know, during World War II, it's not necessarily true. There are certainly people who helped, you know, people escape. Um, so I think uh, this this moment's good for her because she's sort of realizing that maybe she shouldn't be so. Um, I mean, she's stuck by her gun. She didn't. She didn't um, sort of uh, apologize for what she'd done. But I think she's sort of realizing that maybe uh, such drastic actions are not going to be her best best uh, option moving forward. 
Yeah, the, his daughter is interesting in the show. In the book, he's a very much uh, like he's a slime ball. Uh-huh. He's kind of awful, and um, Daenerys just doesn't want to deal with him because he's just gross and and kind of a jerk. But I didn't get that so, impression here. Yeah, no, he seems like very reasonable and very <laughs> impassioned. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah, he, every what he's saying totally makes sense. Um, and I like that. You know, I think it's. I don't know what they're going to do with that character going forward, but I think it, it's, it, it is, like you said, it's a good moment, and it kind of is maybe, hopefully, a wake-up call for Daenerys that, like, she can't just go around delivering what she thinks is justice and have it always work out 100% of the time. Exactly. I think it, what it did is, well, it did two things. I mean, it one, it, what you just said is absolutely true, and the other thing is um, it sort of gave her more depth because... As much as people really like her, and I really like her, and she's really cool, and, you know, we've seen her liberate a lot of places, but, you know, last, last, or maybe it was last episode where she's talking, where they're talking about how um, some of the places she'd conquered had sort of reverted back to their old ways, and then now her actions having consequences in, in Marine, uh, we're getting the impression that, um, you know, she's got things to learn, and she's not, you know, infallible in any sort of way. Um, Although I, the one thing I really did like about this scene was when they're going through all of her, uh, all of her epithets. That was that was pretty funny. Um, mm. She's got so many like things attached to her name now uh, that it was uh, it was kind of funny to see her translator sort of go through all these um, ridiculous titles that she has, which are all accurate, but also just kind of absurd. Um, so yeah, that was good. And then we we get to see um, we get a chance to hear. Uh, the small council in the capital talk about Daenerys, uh, and and sort of it was funny because we got to see Daenerys, and then the immediate um, sort of conversation going on with um, with Lord Varys and with Tywin and um, Oberyn, who's now on the small council, and it was it was a good scene, um, and it was kind of cool to have uh, the characters over there sort of begin to realize they have a real problem. Uh, or they might have a real problem potentially with uh, Daenerys having this large army, uh, and sort of I liked. I think it was Cersei who, who sort of dismissed it at first, but then Varys was very clear that this is going to be a problem uh, moving forward. Yeah, it's good to kind of connect uh, the King, the uh, Westeros stuff with the Essos stuff because right. I think often if you let it drift apart it'll feel like two different shows. Mm-hmm. Because Daenerys isn't really, like, she kind of said, said explicitly last week, she's not interested in Westeros right now. Right. She's going to stay in Marine for a while. So I think it's good that we get the scene of uh, the people in King's Landing acknowledging that she is going to be a problem in the future. Right. And maybe making some plans to deal with it. Um, and, yeah, like you said, Varys is very, very clear that this is not something they can just ignore, that she's not just some kid... Uh, that she has a large army and three dragons. Which are uh, getting bigger all the time. And I liked how they said getting bigger every year, because I know the books are moved slower um, because, you know, they're not going by season, so it's not necessarily the same amount of time. But when they say every year, each year they've made the dragons bigger. Um, so I thought that was pretty funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I agree. And, and it was kind of cool because Varys has a pretty on-point understanding of what it's like, you know, what's going on on the other side of the sea. So uh, he's sort of, like, reining everyone in and being like, you know, this is a problem. And again, you know, not to belabor this point, 
But again, there this is bringing it way back to the first season again, where they were talking about all of this and talking about how they had this um, problem overseas uh, with Daenerys, but that they were just going to ignore it for now. Um, and so they're finally readdressing the problem again. And uh, not that they'll do anything about it necessarily, but um, I'm sure there'll be some assassination attempt or some crazy thing going on um, to try and avoid all out, you know, all out war. Um, but, uh, again, just the connections between these things and, and, you know, I really appreciate the, uh, the callbacks to, to the previous season. Yeah, for sure. Um, and we jump back to Essos too, cause we see Stannis and Davos, uh, uh right. in, in the Iron Bravos, Bank. Right, yeah. the Iron Bank. Uh, we'd never seen Bravos before and it was really cool to see Bravos in the opening credits. One of the cooler, uh, little map animations that they've had in a while. I yeah. think, uh, the Titan of Bravos, the big statue, very cool. Um, this isn't a particularly, just in terms of plot, like thrilling uh, adventure. No, it felt on. it felt like someone applying for a loan in a bank. You know, that's literally exactly what it was. I was, I was actually thinking yeah. about that scene. I think you just watched Spider Man Two recently, right? Don't they go and apply for some loan at a bank? Yeah, and, and Doc Ock comes and throws around sacks full of gold coins. Exactly, and I was just thinking about that. I was like, which banks? Which banks in modern New York have? I won't even. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. Spider-Man too. Okay, yeah, but yeah, um, this is. Um, but I was, I was thinking, it felt more like a, you know, a scene where someone's applying for a loan or whatever, as opposed to, um, you know, like this fantasy thing. I just thought it was very, very, um, very ordinary in a lot of ways. Yeah. Stannis is complaining that the old office has been waiting here for two hours. Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. It is very ordinary. Um, and yeah, it's it's interesting. It's I think we talked about this. We've talked about this before. That Stannis kind of he hasn't been a major player since Blackwater, right? Like he hasn't really done anything since then. He's just kind of been trying to recover from that and build up. And this is still that. And um, but now it looks like he's actually got money. Yeah, well, yeah, and he's the uh, head of the bank, Tycho Nestoris, he kind of says as much. He says, you don't have anything, you don't have any men or ships or enough food to feed the men you have, uh, so, so why should I help? And Davos makes the speech, and he says that he's the only rightful ruler, so they, they did get the money. Yeah, Stannis is... He needs to be, like, a bigger presence on the show, I think, because... If not, you're gonna. The audience is gonna kind of forget that maybe he's even a thing because nobody in King's Landing is concerned about Stannis. They're pretty convinced that they dealt with him definitively, exactly. Blackwater, mm-hmm. um, and they have been right for a while because he hasn't been able to do anything. So Stannis is kind. Stannis' storyline has been at a stand. Uh, no pun intended. A standstill <laughs> for a while. So it's nice to see him kind of start to get some traction toward another. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, what I like about this, too, again, this is another reason why I like, I think, aside from, the, aside from the controversial scene, this season, I think, is my favorite season since season one, just because um, all the character arcs are going somewhere. They're actually doing something, you know, like, um, you know, Arya and the Hound are going somewhere. All these people are doing things, and, and things are happening. You know, Sansa's actually not just lounging around the, the capital. Something's happening to her. She's left. Uh, and then here, in this case, we have Stannis... Um, Last season we had Stannis just not really doing a whole lot of anything. There was just a lot of weird stuff going on with um, uh, with Davos and with um, with uh, Melisandre and things like that. But now, uh, you know, he's he's actually on the up and up. There's actually a sort of an upward 
trajectory for him uh, to make him sort of a, a player again. And that's awesome. And it's hard because, you know, you don't want people... I understand the problem of uh, always having plot for certain characters is tough to do and might feel contrived. But at the same time, when a character has nothing to do for an entire season, pretty much, it makes them feel really boring, you know? It might work well in the books, I don't know, but in terms of the show, um, they've really got to give Stannis something to do. So now that he's done that, he's done two things. He's shown us the Iron Bank. Uh, he's connected himself to Tywin uh, in a way because... Um, he owes, you know, we know from a previous, from the previous episode that the Lannisters owe a lot of money to the Iron Bank, and he's got money now, uh, which he can now use to hopefully deal with, uh, the fact that he has, you know, almost no soldiers and no ships and no anything. Yeah, and it's, well, this scene at the Iron Bank is another thing that they've added to the show. This, um, this is something that they never, you never see in the books, but that you just are aware that happens, I think. Um, so yeah, the, you say like this is moving really fast, and it's like they have to s- slow it down because the books are so much faster, especially at this point in the back half of book three. Um, and that's part of the. That's are a we still in? That, are we still in book three? Um, it's complicated. Um, the, everything we see this week is in book three, oh, okay. but a lot of storylines have, have progressed been, have gone uh, fast, right? into book four or even actually you know what no that's not true Daenerys is in book five right now wow because um, I think her book three stuff ends once she takes Marine. Um yeah because his dart doesn't show up until book five so she's the furthest ahead of any character I think alright but it seems to make sense the way they're playing it yeah no it totally like from makes a, sense from a show watcher perspective yeah yeah and in this it's funny this episode more than any other was structured like the book is. Like, usually in the past couple weeks, in the past couple seasons, we'll get kind of these storylines uh, intercut with each other. Mm-hmm. So we'll get various scenes, and then they'll all pay off around the same time. This episode was really interestingly different in that we kind of saw each character, each point of view kind of beginning to end, and then we went to the next one. Right. So we see Daenerys, you know, there's not like... They were contained little stories, yeah. Exactly, sure. and we get... I think that's so that we can get all that done in the first half hour so that we can just have the trial for the last half hour. Right, right. I think that was that would make sense because it, it would be weird to cut out, cut away from that. I think maybe that uh, part of the reason they structured it like that or maybe the, the, the explanation for it also was that, um, you know, like, the we've seen a couple episodes um, from different directors, but maybe this was uh, Alik Sakharov's sort of um decision to make on like how it was edited and so maybe that might have been also the the reason that we that we got it this way um because we've seen a lot of different styles from a lot of different directors and and some of them do that cutaway thing some of them overlap scenes um and so i think um like as i know we were talking about in a previous episode that michelle mclaren um sort of did a scene uh with cersei that sort of overlapped with the previous scene uh in a way that made it transition in a particular way. But anyway, point being that the structure, I think, uh, might o- be owed to the fact that uh, we're working with uh, a different director in this, this episode. Yeah, Alik Sakharov, this is his third episode that he, he's done for the show. All right. So I guess I'd have to go back and revisit kind of... he did Season 2 he did episode 3, What Is Dead May Never Die. Season 3 he did episode 6, The Climb. Um, and he's also doing next week's because they did more of a block shooting. Oh, okay, uh, interesting. So, yeah. All right. So, and then yeah, from it's possible. Yeah, no, it's possible and I was I was just, you know, just thinking cuz um it's and it's really weird um 
in a good way, I think, to get these different perspectives and these different takes from a from a filmmaking standpoint. Um, each every couple of episodes, we're getting in totally sort of different. Um, sometimes tonally, but structurally, we're just getting different different takes on these these characters. The other thing is that this episode was, um, and perhaps not by the design of the director or the writer Brian Cogman, um, but by the way the show's running. Uh, this was a very focused episode. There were only a few storylines going on. Um, again, probably because of the big trial at the end of the episode that they were sort of building up to. Um, but before we get there, there's the Dreadfort. So we finally see Yara Greyjoy again for the first time in a while. Yes, yeah, and she immediately, what they set up for her very dramatically at the, in the season three finale is almost immediately reversed. Yes, <laughs> it, I, it was such a, it was such, like I could see a, almost a cartoon version of this where like, <laughs> You know, like, people, you know, there's this big speech at the beginning, and they're like, so I, I could see, like, a cartoon uh, of this sort of a parody where, you know, you have this little, little boat of, like, little Viking-type characters, like, cheering, getting really excited, pumped, and they get there and see that there's, like, way too much for them to do, and it's just way, you know, way too big, and they just, like, sort of paddle away in, like, you know, super speed. Um so it was a very weird, uh, anticlimactic little moment. Yeah. On second thought, let's not go to the Dreadfort. It's a silly place. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking of. There you go. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, it felt very uh, very Monty Python in, in that sort of way, which is kind of funny to say considering how grim it actually was. Um, and, uh, yeah, and it's it's kind of weird. There's the scene where they're all in the, the dungeon and nobody's really doing anything. They're sort of talking and uh, then... Um, uh, Ramsey Snow sort of threatens to let the dogs out, and uh, then we don't really see the result of that at all, except for them getting back on the boat and leaving, and saying that uh, that officially uh, Theon is dead. Um, and then the one other thing, though, that is important in the scene is that we have this weird Stockholm syndrome type thing going on with Theon Reek, whatever, uh, as he interacts with Ramsey in the last scene. Um, uh, when he's sort of being bathed by him, uh, and he says that he's going to have to play Theon Greyjoy now on some sort of... Uh... <laughs> that was amazing. That was that so was like, weird. You I, well, almost you could almost hear the Curb Your Enthusiasm music after he said that. <laughs> because he's just spent, no, I'm not I'm not Theon Greyjoy, I'm right. Reek, I've always been Reek. Right, so now he has um, to play Theon Greyjoy, which you're like, how is that even going to work? I feel like Ramsey's really pushing how much he's you know, got control of this character, but I guess we'll see how it turns out. Um, so, and then I think, I think the, imp- the implication is that he's going to be taking this, this moat, right? That he had, ta- they had talked about, I think maybe in the first episode or the second episode. Yeah. Um, moat Kalen. Right. The, um, it's apparently a very important do. moat that nobody's talked about, uh, until yeah. this, <laughs> right. Um, so many little things in this, you know, that they've got to, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, and then I guess we, we're off to King's Landing. Um, yep. where, um, like we said, there was a small council meeting, uh, and then, um, uh, Jamie goes and grabs Tyrion and they, they start the, they start the trial. Yeah. The trial scene is really extraordinary. Um, and I love how we get all these kind of, it's kind of a, uh, a, a clip show of Tyrion's best moments, but presented in an awful context. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, we get Sir Marin Trance to talk about how uh, Tyrion and, Bar- and the, the best part is there are some things that are clearly lies, um, but then there's just kind of 
there's also truths that are there are like have truths and yeah, but like, like out of context and yeah, it's like when Cersei says, "Oh, he said, you know, the day will come when your joy will turn to ashes in your mouth," and Tyrion's like, he, "Well, he did say that." Yes, exactly. But if you if you only knew the situation, right? And it's the same with Varys. You know, uh, I think Varys basically tells the truth. He just doesn't stick his neck out at all um, for for Tyrion. So yeah, no, it was a uh, it was brutal to see and you sort of got the impression that some witnesses might be on his side someone somewhere but just nothing no no help um and the other thing i want to you know in this scene i think it's just every time i i see this you know it's just like it's a much better version of the character than we had feared we might get um jamie gets to be even cooler in this uh in this whole scene where he just looks so in pain throughout the whole trial when he goes and has to get Tyrion he's, he looks really upset and he's really upset during the trials he has to just stand there as his brother's accused of all these things and people lie and he knows everything's been manipulated and then he goes and pleads with Tywin and actually makes a pretty incredible selfless um claim um yeah. or uh, or sort of deal with him and and it's just such a great moment I wish we got to see more of Tyrion and Jamie's relationship because they spend so much of the series up to this point apart, you know, right. like seasons two and three, Jamie was not even in King's Landing, and even in season one, they were in completely different locations. Um, so this season is we've is the most we've seen of them together, and Jamie's uh, love for Tyrion is really, really extraordinary because Absolutely. he seems to be the only character who really has any affection for Tyrion. Yep, at least that you know. He, uh, in his family, right. everyone else hates Tyrion, and when he does, when he pleads with Tywin and he agrees to make that sacrifice, it is it's a great moment. Um, because... Although, although you do you do like definitely get the impression that Tywin, this was all of Tywin's plan from the get go. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. You know what I mean? So like you're like, oh wow, that's so selfless. Oh, this is exactly what he wanted him to do anyway, isn't it? Um, but yes, no, it's great, and you know it, it builds on the previous scenes we got in this season where you know. Jamie and Tyrion get to rekindle their relationship. And honestly, I think by having him in King's Landing longer, they've gotten, you know, they've been able to do that. Um, they've been able to uh, sort of build that relationship more than maybe it was in the books. I don't I don't know. Uh, and also by having Bronn, you know, sort of back him up and say, you know, like, no, he's actually like a really good guy. Uh, he was really good to me, you know, um, when they're having their sword fighting practice. Uh, you know, Tyrion's, Tyrion and Jamie have really gotten... Uh, a lot closer, and in this scene, in this whole scene, you can just see how upset he is. I think it really helped. Maybe a, an episode or two ago, when Jamie and um, when Jamie goes to visit Tyrion in the cell, and they have that whole conversation, uh, and you really get the impression that he's, you know, he's hurt. He's hurting for his brother. Yeah, it's um, it, yeah, it is. It's like I wish we could get. I wish it wasn't under that circumstance. Yeah, and I wish we could have gotten more of that up to this point. Um, right. I mean, the first time we're introduced to Tyrion, remember, I think it's Jamie who goes and gets that's him true. from the, from the that's, problem. Yeah, exactly. And that's a great scene. It's a great scene. It's a great scene, and you don't really get the impression that they're, like, super close in that scene, but, you know, just symbolically, the fact that we are introduced to these characters pretty much um, together is pretty, I think, significant. And so, um, uh, I, you know, so I really like the scene. It was really, it was really sad to see him, you know, sort of struggle. And then, how upset he is as, you know, Tyrion, 
after Shay comes in and gives her her testimony, um, you know, Tyrion, you know, sort of loses it, and and Jamie is so distraught because you know he had just struck this deal with his father. I, I, I think the deal, by the way, is pretty brilliant um, because as much as Tywin hates Tyrion, and he really does, he also knows that as long as Jamie is in uh, the Kingsguard, um, his line's done. Yeah. Yeah, and if Tyrion, if he executes Tyrion, that's it for his line, and, and Jamie brings that up. And I like how they skirt the issue entirely that they have the names done. The kids are definitely there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Exactly. So I think by making this deal, basically what he's done is he's able to send Tyrion off. What he thinks, what he hopes is set, if he sends Tyrion off to the Night's Watch, um, Tyrion won't be able to continue the line because he'll have to do the vows. But if Jaime makes the deal that he'll leave the Kingsguard, then everything's great for Tywin. <laughs> Tywin gets everything he wants because exactly. he doesn't have to deal. Because like him, for, Tyrion's probably going to die on the Night's Watch for all he knows, and he doesn't care. And now uh, Jamie can continue the Lannister line. The Night's Watch honestly seems like a cool place for um, Tyrion to go. And, and again, once again, we're getting another callback to the first season where he actually goes to the Wall. Um, so, uh, yeah. And, you know, one thing I don't get is, is you know, um, it's clear that Tywin does not like him because he's a dwarf and also because his mother died in childbirth uh, and all of these things. But... Um, What's just sort of hard to reconcile is that, you know, he's he's like a fertile young guy, you know what I mean? And and also, um, you know, certainly certainly he hasn't made the most um the best decisions when it comes to women in terms of status, but like there are people who like him, you know what I mean? There's I you know, it's not like they couldn't marry Tyrion off and have kids. It's just like I guess Tywin's pride that gets in the way of um you know I mean? he's not he's not uh, he's not sterile or anything. <laughs> he can I think part of it is that um, other families just don't want Tyrion, right? You know, but, it's like I think a lot of I, they but you don't get the impression that he like shopped him around and everyone was like, no, you know, I don't know. It just seems... that, well, that is not in the show, but de- absolutely in the books. I okay. think Tywin says as much. He's like, look, I tried to marry you off. The Martells didn't want you. The Tyrells didn't want you. They kind of everyone laughed in my face, and nobody, nobody, even the mo- like lowborn lower families like houses none of them want you right right I, I guess the the best thing that ever happened then was was uh sansa that's exactly yeah it's like well who's gonna object <laughs> you know right exactly it was a, you know she's sort of got nothing going for her at this moment uh so yeah it made sense um so what, what did you think of shay's uh testimony her fake testimony i loved i loved it um this was a great moment because even though I knew it was coming, I was still surprised when it happened. Right, I yeah. Like, oh. I had no idea, obviously. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you, you, you kept talking the past couple weeks. It's like, yeah, and, you know, she's gone. And I was like, oh, yeah, she's never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know, when she great. showed up, I was just like, oh. And now, and now, unlike before, you know, I'm not, you know before I was complaining about um, the acting, now I'm complaining about the character because, and, and I was complaining about the character too, but uh, at least she was sort of, supporting terry and now it's just like get out of here you're useless absolutely useless it is um, she definitely seems like she's being uh, uh controlled and or, or persuaded to say this right right no clearly she's, it's yeah clearly it's which uh, is also different from the books in the books it's much and you know, it's from Tyrion's perspective so we don't really know but in the books it much more comes across that she never loved him she was just you know uh, after his money or whatever, and when she she's she's trying to humiliate him when she says these things, 
Um, and I really like this change because I like that. It's more human. It, I, I like it. It seems yeah, and it makes the whole scene more tragic. That you know, it, obviously, it's sad for Tyrion if she just never loved him in the first place. But it, I think it's even worse because this is now another character who is going through the the pain of this moment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just the Tyrion's pain; it's also her pain for having to do this and to having to hurt someone that she that she loves. Um, I, I do think it's a it's a great moment, and it'll be interesting to see kind of um, what what uh, how Tyrion reacts going forward. Because his final monologue, he is absolutely furious. Right, like his teeth are gonna fall out because he's clenching them so. Right, so hard. right, right. Um, how did you feel about the monologue that he does? Um, I I thought it was, you know, arguably it was. Um... He had the opportunity in certain points to curb himself, and he would have just made a really impassioned speech. Um, but by saying that he wanted everyone there to die, or that he would wish he could kill everyone, that uh, that's pretty damning. Um, because you know, at first you're like, okay, you know, he makes a really, you know, he says, "I'm on trial for being a dwarf. I'm, you know, this is ridiculous. I wish I had killed Joffrey. Even that would have been okay, I think, because while it's treasonous, perhaps a lot of people will sympathize." But by then saying, and also all of you, you know, then now he's really dug himself into a corner. But they're all being, you know, they're all a party to this. They're all complicit in this this sham of a trial that's not really a, a thing. Um, so, you know, in some ways. The one thing I wish sort of had happened, I was sort of looking forward to is, um, I was hoping Oberyn would just, you know, recognize that this entire thing was a, a sham and say something to that effect. Because he seemed to be taking the whole thing very... You know, whatever, he didn't care. Um, he was sort of... Uh, he seemed bemused with, with the with the goings-on, so that was interesting. Um, but yeah, so, you know, and, and it's it's you know it's, it's sad to see uh, Tyrion sort of react to this this testimony from Shay because that was sort of his last... He thought he had gotten her out. Although I don't... The one thing I don't understand is how did they know Shay was involved with him? Like, I thought the whole premise was that they thought they had killed the... Or they had dealt with the um, prostitute that he was with, uh, but it wasn't. It was Roz. Um, but then they didn't... Apparently they knew Shay was involved in some way, or, or maybe they just assumed she was a handmaiden, handmaiden and it could incriminate him, and she added the extra layer of, oh, also, we were sleeping together. Um, it's not really yeah. clear. Yeah, it's not really clear. Um, it could be any any number of things. You know, well, the, you know, right off the bat, we didn't see Bronn put her on the boat. So, you know, just right from the start, maybe that had some, maybe she was intercepted there. We don't, you know, it is kind of ambiguous. And I guess we'll kind of see maybe going forward, if that's revealed, um, how they got a hold of her. Because I, yeah, I, I think that's right. For, I think for all they know that she was just the maid. Although, who else knew? Varys must have known. I feel and like, maybe, the, yeah, I think there are some who must have known because, you know, secrets, King's Landing doesn't really work um but yeah no it's not really clear uh how certainly cersei didn't know as far as we know or she would have probably used that to her advantage much earlier yeah uh well (laughs) everybody knows now right even if they were making her lie yeah it's possible they were just telling her to say those things not knowing that they actually were in a relationship right or or again that she added that last bit um yeah although he you know he seemed like he had scripted questions that he was asking her uh tywin did um and then, and then the so, but I think it, the the so the way the monologue ends is actually really cool. Um, 
I feel like a broken record again, calling back to the first season. Uh, you know, Tyrion demands a trial by combat, and yep. and that's fascinating. I thought that was a really awesome. I at first I was like, why didn't you just do that to begin with? Uh, that seems like a much better way to um, to deal with the situation. But you know, the question is, who's he going to ask? Does he does he get to name a champion, or does he have to do it? Um, there's no real information there. Um, I think yeah, I, I, I assume I think he'll be able to name a champion. I don't think he would have done it if he thought he wouldn't have been able to because, um, you know, Tyrion's not, he's out of luck, but I don't think he's like that stupid. Uh, I would hope he is. So, but yeah. I mean, I mean, in some ways you're like, he's either guaranteed to get a death penalty sentence or he could at least die fighting someone. Well, so yeah, he doesn't have to care. It, uh, it's a, it's his last card. It's definitely, he's playing his last hand. Uh, and that's, I think why he gives that big speech where he says, I wish I could just kill you all. Cause he knows, you know what? Either they're going to execute me or, by some miracle, this trial by combat will work out, and I'll I'll walk. <laughs> you know, right? Exactly. And, it, and once I do that, I could just get out of here. Um, so this is definitely him saying, "All right, cards on the table. This is my last last possible play to get out of this." Right. Yeah. You know, one thing that could be cool is you know maybe he doesn't want to go to the Night's Watch. Maybe he books it over to Essos and uh, hangs out with um, hangs out with Daenerys for a bit. That could be pretty awesome. Yeah, he could, um, it, well, I mean, he's in jail right now. Um, he's in jail. No, no, I mean when he, you know, if he gets out of this situation. Like, I guess it depends on what happens. It really depends on what happens, absolutely. But I'm just just spitballing here. But, you know, he doesn't have a lot of places he could go. There he would actually be safe, you know, at least for a while, assuming no one goes and deals with Daenerys. Um, as opposed to the Night's Watch or whatever, where he's a good chance he could end up dead by any sort of thing, uh, the White Walkers or the the Wildlings or whatever. Um but yeah, uh, so you know, I, my question, I guess, is who's he going to name as his champion if he's going to if he's going to use a champion in this? Um, I have a feeling because they mentioned it earlier that Jamie might fight for him, um, but you know, who knows? Yeah, Jamie will. Jamie would be conflicted because um, you know he who is he going to stay loyal to? You know, Tywin just gave him this whole spiel about. Never go against the e like this whole Godfather thing. Never right, go against right, right. the family again. Right, right, right. Um, he's conflicted, and he's also not nearly the fighter that he used to be because of his hand. That's the other thing. Yeah, so it could be you know, does so, Braun want to do it? Does Braun kind of want to risk? Because whoever is going to fight for him is immediately going to be a marked man. Oh yes, absolutely. He's going to have to book the, it with him by the by Tywin. So it's definitely... In some ways, it would make more sense if it was somebody like Bronn, because Bronn could leave and no one would care if Bronn left. Um, and he could, true. And they could stick together and sort of have their little buddy-buddy thing again. Whereas Jamie can't really leave. He has to go and do this whole Castle Rock thing if that's happening. Um, so, I don't know. It's kind of unclear. And of course, whoever the throne is going to pick to fight in is going to be the most, like... Uh, who, the the most skilled, powerful fighter they can possibly find. Right, right, right. So part of me thinks that that like on paper that would be somebody like the Mountain, but um, the other option is that it's uh, who's the guy who's the head of the uh, the Kingsguard now. Um. Oh shoot, Marin Marin Trant is that? His is name? it Marin Trant? Is that? I'm not name? sure actually. I thought maybe it was Jamie was the head, but I don't think he's oh. the head. Oh, maybe he's not. Whatever. The, the really awful guy who he has the black beard and and the gold armor. I think it's Marin Trant. I think you're. Yeah, that's probably right. Um, he just he's a huge. He's awful, awful loser yeah. jerk character. Um, who's just really scummy in this episode. So I could see them saying, 
you know, okay, you're the best fighter, so you're going to fight, um, you're going to fight, uh, you know, Tyrion's champion, and then having him die, that could be sort of nice. Um, <laughs> assuming, of course, whoever's uh, Tyrion's champion is doesn't lose. Um, the yeah. one last thing I do want to mention is I really liked that this is sort of a, related to the King's Guard. I really liked, um, I think it was Tywin chastising uh, Cersei for Joffrey's um, dismissal of Ser Barristan and saying that that was a really stupid, dumb thing to do um, yeah. for a lot of reasons. One, that he has a lot of information and, and knowledge and stuff, and also that he's a perfectly capable member of the King's Guard. Um, but yeah, so uh, I guess we'll see. Uh, next episode is called Mockingbird. So, uh-huh. so I'm Kat- excited. So uh, we're going to get some Katniss Everdeen uh, up in here, <laughs> and that'll be great. Yeah, when that happened in the books, I was really surprised. Um, yeah. because The Hunger Games wasn't even out yet. It wasn't point. even out yet, but, you know, they were like, you know, there's going to be this character named Katniss, and she's going to be friends with Daenerys. George R. R. Martin, he's good. She's going to shoot this, going. she's going to shoot this arrow at the, at the dragons, and it's going to be a whole, it's going to be a whole thing. It's going to, like, be a Hobbit type thing, yeah. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, uh, yeah, so, uh, we'll get together next week, and, uh, I can't wait to discuss it. All right. All right, sounds great.